I can tell you I'm not anti-police. I'm not. But I'm anti-aggressive police that are too aggressive, absolutely. And they need to be held accountable. This is Susan Chestnut of the Chestnut Law Firm. This is my podcast from foster care to family law, a child welfare focus. I was raised in the foster care system. I was a child abuse investigator for the Department of Children and Families. And now I'm an attorney practicing family law where my passion is to focus on the best interests for the children involved. In my podcast, I will be meeting with industry experts exploring the seemingly impossible scenarios that families often struggle to manage. Each episode will include insights and concepts from professionals that deal with these issues every day. Today I have with me Andy Metcalf. He's a local criminal defense attorney. I've been practicing with him for several years. He has been a lawyer since 1996. He has 24 years experience with criminal and family law. He is a president of the local Indian River County Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers for many years. He was also the president of our statewide Florida Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He previously served as an editor and an author on a publication for our criminal defense, and he's previously argued before the Supreme Court. I have Andy on because he is an expert in criminal law and constitutionality, and we're going to talk about some of the current events that are happening in our society today. Thank you for being on, Andy. I very much appreciate you. No problem. Thank you. So we would like to talk about several things, and one of the first things that we want to talk about is the freedom of speech and the right to peaceful assembly. What do you have to say about what's going on with that right now? Well, every amendment we have to the Constitution and every law we have has its boundaries, and we have a right in this country to peaceful assembly. It's what makes us unique and, and Right now, if you follow the world news, you can see in Hong Kong, China, they have shut it down. I've been to Hong Kong many times, and it was always a beacon of democracy, even though it was within China. Even once the the, the Brits gave back rule to China, Hong Kong was just a, it was a separate society than the mainland China. Uh, but they've clamped down on it. They, they, you can be literally for holding up a sign there now against the government you can be sentenced to a a term of life imprisonment that's the new rule in china hong kong and hong kong is just one of those places that you you'd see on the news and you you would it's like a breath of fresh air when you see the students peacefully assembling there against a communist regime that was very oppressive well we're now experiencing in my lifetime some of the worst civil unrest. I, I didn't grow up during, you know, I was born in 1971, so I'm, I'm not a spring chicken, but I'm, I'm not, I, I didn't grow up during the civil rights era, but this is the worst I've ever seen in our country. And, you know, it's, it's hard as a, as a, as a white American to really, to weigh in on it and feel comfortable doing it because I, I haven't lived that life. You know, I've, I've lived a life of privilege. I got all the breaks. You know, I was educated. I, I come from a middle-class family that could afford that. So I, don't, I can't say I walked in their shoes, in, in the shoes of people who are now expressing themselves. So I, it, it's tough for me to weigh in on that, but, it, but we do have laws and we, we have to 
some we have to follow. But I do understand too why it's risen to the level it has. So what we're all talking about is the First Amendment, right? I mean, the right to peacefully assemble. And so that's that's what makes us unique in a beautiful country. But when it goes to a level of destruction of property and violence, I can't say that I agree with that. But I can say that I can understand it. I mean, we've had peaceful assembly since the civil rights era, and it, it's it's seemingly fallen on deaf ears to, to much of our nation. We, we all like to say there's been so much progress. Yeah, there has, but it's there's no complete equality in, in the way we look at each other. And I think right now, too, there, in my humble opinion, there's a lack of leadership on this issue. So it's causing more unrest. Then you throw in the mix that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's just a, it's a recipe for an explosion, and that's what we're seeing. Right. And we've had several months of economic suppression for all of us and businesses have been shut down. And you add on top of that this level of civil unrest and it creates just a world of chaos. How how can people gather and assemble peacefully and not elevate that to civil unrest where it creates unsafe environments for everyone involved? I, I don't know that there's an answer to that question that's based in fact. I mean, in, in practice, it would be all beautiful if we could all walk down the road and peacefully assemble. And, and we've seen instances of that in our history where the flower child movement, I mean, I guess they were all pretty peaceful. But right now, when you have people out of work, yeah, at one point we had 40% of our nation as high as that, out of, you know, potentially or 20% of our nation out of work. And they're frustrated, they're scared, and then they see, you know, basically, I guess we can talk about the George Floyd case. I mean, you know, man basically murdered on live television <laughs> and, you know, one story after another. And, and, and that pretty soon we stopped seeing all the positive stories that happen and we're seeing police at their worst because people are looking for that now. And as a criminal defense lawyer, I can tell you I'm not anti-police. I'm not. But I'm anti-aggressive police that are too aggressive, absolutely. And they need to be held accountable. But when you throw all that in there, how do we how do we guarantee a peaceful protest? You know, we here in our little town of Vero Beach, which is not a beacon of you know problems. We just don't have we I think we live in a little bubble, but there was peaceful protests right after the, the incident. And in fact, uh, my own daughter was walked in that, those protests and they were very peaceful, very calm. There was nothing, I didn't see anything inappropriate at all with them. But when you get into, you know, some areas that have had problems, you know, like I said, Vera Beach is a bubble. You get into an inner city where there's been just terrible uh, poverty, terrible situations, and those are, there's civil unrest. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't sanction, I don't condone it, but I understand it, you know, but we, we have to draw a line somewhere because there's innocent people that are going to get caught up in that, that are going to get hurt and their property destroyed. And we can't allow that. Right. But there's also a, a dichotomy between we have some disrespect for law enforcement because of the way that things have been handled, but we also need law enforcement to help us 
you know, control the peaceful protests from rising to the level of civil disobedience and unrest when you start to have things happen like trespass, disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, resisting arrest, vandalism, arson, violence, those activities escalate and then they're only asking for law enforcement intervention, right? How how do we how does law enforcement balance their responsibilities? Don't they have a reasonableness test that they must adhere to? Sure. I mean, I, I think they police try to behave every day objectively as they can, but there there is a need to be subjective. I mean, there are certain things that we do as citizens that we should that police officers should overlook from time to time. I mean. You know, we have laws that are just arcane in this country that need to be just stricken off the books. I mean, we're, we're, we talk about criminal justice reform all the time, and we're making movements towards that. But locking up thousands and hundreds of thousands of people for minor drug offenses and using that as a reason to search people and, and dig up, dig deeper into something more serious is, is, is troubling to me. I mean, we need to reform the way we think and police are not taught that, you know, they just aren't. They're taught if there's a law broken, you're objective, you make the arrest. And still to that point, you know, I don't think they are, often are. I think there are certain people that are, that walk away from certain situations and, and, and are not. I'll give you a, just a, a quick story. I, I once, I did a trial not that long ago where during a closing argument, my client was wearing a white tank top and he was an African-American man. And the prosecutor actually said, you could see Mr. Metcalf's client on video. He rolled through that stop sign. That's why they stopped him. And you can see him, you can see uh, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. You could see it, it wasn't on his shirt. You know, he's wearing that white tank top. He was wearing a wife beater. He, he actually said those terms, a wife beater. And it was an African-American client and my response in my closing was you know if that was me driving a mercedes-benz in my neighborhood that's just you know and i'm wearing a white tank top i think an officer would say that's just mr metcalf coming back from working out but if you're an african-american man all of a sudden you're wearing a wife beater mm-hmm. so it's not it's not just objective enforcement of laws it's how we enforce them by the, the color of your skin some people are not going to get pulled over for wearing a seatbelt. I sometimes forget I've never been stopped. But if you're an African-American male in the wrong neighborhood, you're going to get pulled over for that because they want to use it as a basis to lead to something else. So that's what I mean by we get, when you ask, police need to be, you know, I don't say they turn turn a, a blind eye to everything, but they need to start not acting like this is a, we're all, like we militarized our police basically and to behave in that nature is it doesn't make sense to me and if anything comes out of all this if we we retrain our police we don't we shouldn't defund them by the way i'm against that (laughs) we need the police but we need to retrain them they need to rethink their daily actions but not defund them we need the police i saw recently that there was some legislation that was attempting to be passed to regulate the use of force, and I know constitutionally they're bound by the reasonableness of the use of force, you know, for the danger to the police officer and the danger to others, but 
there's also a level of discretion that goes into policing that I don't believe that agencies really give their law enforcement officers. How, how do you feel about how we can educate the police on responding and being more understanding and culturally sensitive and those type of things? Well, I'll give you a good example of something that has happened during my tenure. You know, years ago, they developed what we call stun guns. And this was to be the the best thing that ever happened to policing because it's a non-lethal weapon. And there, it would take down, it would lower the number of shootings. It would, you know, police wouldn't draw their gun. They would instead draw their taser. Use of force arrest skyrocketed when it, with the advent of the taser. Mm. Many t- many arrests were being made without a taser or without a gun, but when they gave them that taser and they trained them on it, it became like second nature to use it. And there was actually a period of time where deaths resulting from use of force went up after the advent of the taser because people were being killed by tasers. So more people being killed by tasers and shot by guns. So it is the thinking that we, we have, as Americans, have we, we, I'm sorry to say, we're kind of a violent society um, compared to a lot of other countries. And it's, it's a way of thinking when we militarize our, our thoughts. I mean, and it's gone beyond police. Citizens are militarized. Everyone thinks they need a you know, assault rifle now to protect themselves from some boogeyman that's out there. And when we, most of us will go through, almost all of us will go through our lives and never experience violent crime. I can see more in an inner city people thinking they need weapons, but you know, the average person in our, in our community, this little community we live in thinking that they need an assault weapon. You know, I guess we all live on our, our individual personal experiences, but I just don't see it. And again, you know, it permeates in our entire way of thinking. And we just, we, we need to reset and really think about that mm-hmm. as a society. What are we really, is all this necessary? I mean, is this out who we are? And, you know, smart minds can differ about that. Some people think, yeah, I do need security. And I don't, I don't blame them, but uh, they better be really sure that they know what they're doing with that. Right, right. Well, and you have mentioned that Vero Beach is a little bit of a bubble. I interviewed Daryl Rivers recently, and they're very, you know, law enforcement is very active and has a good community relationship in our community, partly because it's a small town. I believe also because they have good leadership. I also believe it's because in our small town, a lot of these people have been on law enforcement and have been engaged in the community, building these relationships for decades. And it's a little different than it is in other places like Seattle. How do you feel about what's happening in Seattle right now? Well, I'll tell you too, some of my best friends on this earth are are law enforcement officers here in our town. I don't have an adversary, you know, look, I, individual cases. Yeah. I'm not their friend in court, but we're, you know, we all keep it professional Seattle. I think what happened there's tragic, actually, there's a lack of leadership across the board and this isn't political. I'm not saying lack of Republican leadership or Democrat. And that, I believe in that city, I think we all know that's run by a Democrat. So I I'll critique both sides equally. I think what the mayor there allowed to happen. In, in an autonomous zone being set up 
was crazy because it, it, anyone with common sense knew that was going to last for a short period of time and then people were going to get hurt. They weren't going to have basic services and they were going to have to break it up. And now that's exactly what's happened. She had to send in the, the police all dressed in their Kevlar and their helmets, riot gear to break it up because people were getting killed in there. We can't live like that. So there has to be, I, I guess the proper term, when they keep saying defund the police, maybe it is cut, cut some of their budgets on things and reuse some of that money towards something positive, you know, maybe retraining. But to just say we don't need them anymore and we can live without them is, I don't know any civilized country in the world that doesn't have law enforcement. Right. I mean, we have to have law enforcement. So I think what happened there is crazy and it should have never been allowed to happen. And that, that's an example of, of the protests going way too far. Right. In my- right. So in, in having that, I, I read recently something about an insurrection act that was an executive order by the current president. What are your thoughts on that? Well, our current president, like the one before him, loves to sign executive orders. And I would tell you that a good large percentage of those executive orders are political papers. They're not, they're not enforceable. They're not constitutional. And they're done in response to what, what's happening at the current time. So I think the worst thing in the world would be to send in National Guard troops to break up peaceful protests or even protests that might be getting a little rock raucous. You send in a National Guard guardsman who is, no offense, they're weekend warriors. They're not regular soldiers to do the job of the police and someone gets hurt. It's a powder keg ready to explode. I don't think our president has any intention of sending in National Guards to to do that. I think it was a it was a political paper he signed. We're not at that point yet. I don't think we're gonna get to that. We can all see Americans have short attention spans. I don't think this the protests are going away, but they've calmed down. And we're moving on to other things. We're worried we're we're gonna as a society we're gonna we'll balance it out and think and I and I don't want it I don't want to I don't think they should go away at this point. We need change and real change. But it's it's starting to work. And, but I think with the new cycle, we'll move on to something else. And I think we will calm down, but we don't need to send in the military into our local communities and scare everyone to death. It's just going to make it worse. Violence and shows of strength beget violence. I completely agree. It's a vicious cycle, but as a, as a leadership problem, how, how can leaders take control of the situation in a way that doesn't result in intimidation and more violence? I mean, what do you suggest is the best way? I mean, even so far as now we're politicizing everything like masks, how is the government supposed to help the people who are apparently destroying themselves? Well, in my humble opinion, it, and again, not to be too political, but I guess it to me, it boils down to one simple thing that we need to do in this country. We need to limit the terms of our leaders. 
because the president, as we all know, the president can only serve two terms, but we have career politicians who all they think about every day is how do I keep my job? And, and so what that breeds is reactive politics, not proactive politics. So they react to everything that's going on and they do what they think is politically popular to get them reelected. They don't proactively do anything because that's taking a risk. And our politicians, they don't take risks. They don't do the things that we hire them to do. They react to situations. And by then it's too late. But, you know, I guess at the beginning, before we all knew what coronavirus was, it was a, it was a sign of weakness if you wore a mask. I'm, I have friends that, you know, I was wearing a mask from the get-go when I go into public. My mom's, my mother is a in the medical field and um, I have lots of family in the medical field. and just was common sense to wear a mask in a pandemic. But I had neighbors that thought that that was a violation of their constitutional rights. And I had to explain to them that if a private business tells you you have to wear a mask and you refuse to wear a mask, you don't have a constitutional right to shop at a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Walmart can say, you're not coming in. Right. They're not a government. So to violate a constitutional right requires a government action. Walmart's not the government. They can keep you out of there for any reason, as long as it's not the reasons like uh, against race or religion and things of that nature. But they can definitely tell you you're not coming in without a mask. Mm -hmm. And to watch these news stories of people pushing through to get into a store and I'm not wearing a mask, I have to think that's a result of the leader of our nation making it seem like if you're wearing a mask, it's a show, it's a sign of weakness. But isn't and, it a show of respect for others? Yeah. I mean, who are you to not wear a mask when it might get me sick? Right. I mean, we're, you know, this isn't a, how that got politicized. I, I, I just, it's stunning. And it, the, the, the lack of common sense, and, and I don't care what side of the fence you're on. If you're an anarchist, a conservative, a liberal, and you don't, you know, to, to think that you wouldn't wear a mask when we have a disease that's airborne. You know, I, I, I read, in a, you know, no one even believes statistics anymore. But if you're in a room and, some, and both of you have the virus, there's a 70% chance of contraction. Whereas if you're both wearing masks, it drops to 1%. one percent. Mm-hmm. And we see that statistically in other nations that are, are, are far out doing it. I think I read that we have... 4.5% of the world's population, but we have over one quarter of the world's cases of coronavirus. That's it. That's just stunning. And it, it shows a, I don't, I don't want to call it stupidity. I don't think we're stupid, but it, it just shows how politics, how, how viral they are and how they can just make us blind to, to common sense. I've heard people say that wearing a mask is being a sheep, right? But then I've also heard that in a Black Lives Matter, there's a religious you know, story about a sheep that got lost and it was the one that needed protection. So which sheep do we want to be today? Well, I, I heard that story too. And, and it's, I think it was in response to someone that, you know, that we all know the term Black Lives Matter. And the, the counter to that is all lives matter. And 
I guess from the Black Lives point of view, it is, you know, there, I think as the story goes, there was a hundred sheep and one got away. And the shepherd went, he said, left his 99 sheep and went after the one. And the other shepherd said, well, why would you leave 99 of your sheep and go after the one? And he goes, because that's the one that's in trouble. Those 99 will be fine. This one alone will, needs my help. So that's kind of the, the thing right now. We all know all lives matter. We all know that every life matters. We all know that, but right now, the, the lives that are being most affected by our own bigotry that we all have built in into the cake are black lives. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I guess I don't really have skin in that game because I've lived a life of privilege, but you know, and, and, and trust me, I'm a Southern boy. I was born and raised in the deep South. My mother's from Mississippi. My father's from North Carolina, but for us to act like racism is over and that we're all being treated equal. That's insane. And, yeah. I, and I, I guess that boils into all the, this discussion about the monuments, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, well, let's should talk they be, about well, should they be being ripped down uh, by mobs? I'm not in favor of that, but you know, I'm married to it. My wife's Jewish and I suppose if we visited you know, Berlin, Germany, and they had uh, monuments with Adolf Hitler saluting as, as someone who's, I'd be highly offended. I'd want to rip it down. I'd want to, I, I would want that down. I wouldn't want that. That is what African-Americans see when they see a statue of, of, you know, Stonewall Jackson in a plaza. It's a man that fought to keep them enslaved. You know, Robert E. Lee, I mean, we all, we've romanticized who he was. I'm a descendant my, my, of, of Lee, believe it or not. My mom's maiden name is Lee, and my, my, my uncle tracked us back to uh, those family roots. He's no hero of mine, though. I mean, but they lived in a different era. It's not destruction of history. It's not rewriting history. We can read in books without seeing a monument in a, in a, in a community that we all share. Mm -hmm. celebrating the lives of people who fought to enslave another race. That, that doesn't make sense to me. I've never been in favor of that. Well, we can't rewrite well, history no matter what we try. No, but tearing down, but tearing down, and people, you know, I have a buddy who goes, well, where does it stop? If you take those down, they're never going to, no one's going to be happy. You, you know, they're going to want more and more. Well, it's easy to draw lines. We draw lines every day. This is the law. This is it. So you take down Confederate general statues. Confederate, that's it. You don't take down monuments of George Washington. You don't take down monuments of Abraham Lincoln. You, you start with just the Confederate generals. And I think we can say that's it. And, and people will be happy. You know, there's no slippery slope there. No, that's a but you do that. Point. You do that as an organized movement right. and, and not an individual, you know, vandalistic defacement of those things, which is going to give you the opposite attention of what you want, in my opinion. I, I feel like if if that's what needs to happen, it needs to be done in a different way. Well, and, and I guess the counter to that, and I'm not, I'm just being objective here. I, I, I think I agree with you. I agree with you. It should be done in a lawful way. But the counter argument to that is they've been ripping them down and look, look what finally happened. Mississippi took the Confederate stars and bars off its flag. Mm -hmm. So was that going to happen? 
without the violent destruction of statues? I don't know. I don't but know either. Because what, they what they've been doing <laughs> hasn't been working, right? Right. Again, though, you know, I would. It, it's it's heartbreaking that we we're even to that. What that what it takes to retrain a mind. What mm -hmm. to what. Again, it goes to us being a reactive society. We don't, we're not a proactive society. People need to be, our politicians need to have guts and they don't anymore. Right. And so let's talk about the criminality. I, I heard, and you can correct me if this is true or not, that, that Florida is looking to mandate the requirement to wear masks in public. And as a criminal defense attorney, I mean, what does that mean to you? Where, what do you do with that landscape of criminalizing behavior that people think they have a constitutional right to engage in or not to engage in? Well, I, I first, I think, as I've heard it, that it would be a civil infraction. It wouldn't be a crime to not wear a mask. But I'm all in favor, personally, of them passing a, a law that you could be civilly fined, like you get a, get a traffic ticket. And trust me, when you hit someone in their wallet, <laughs> it tends to work. So I have no problem with them passing a rule that if you're going into a public place, you have to wear a mask. And if you don't, you can be civilly fine. You know, I read, I read today, you know, and it wasn't on a CNN. I mean, everyone politicizes even where we get our news now. But in Alabama, they have, these kids are having what they call them COVID parties. And the object of the party is if you if you have covid you're invited and if you and they have test kits and if you test positive at the party you win a like a raffle ticket they're they're actually in alabama these kids are encouraging people with covid to get together as a kind of a counter protest what what is the logic in that I don't know. It's Alabama, I guess. <laughs> I went to law school in Alabama. Yeah. I don't have any problem with Alabama, but it, it's just Again, we've we've politicized a disease, and that's where I, and and people ask why why are our statistics so bad compared to other nations? Because we've done that. We've you know we share a continent with Canada, and uh, it's not as bad up there. They haven't politicized the disease. We have. Well, they've also kind of closed their borders, and and they look right. at us like the bad renters downstairs. Well, look at what Florida did. Our governor made a big show of closing our border and saying, if you come from New York, you're going to quarantine. And now he's very upset that other states are saying, if you come from Florida, you're going to quarantine. But you know, we, we are at the epicenter of this. My daughter lived in Manhattan and came back to Florida to be with us because it was so dangerous. Well, on July, on this Sunday, she's going back to Manhattan mm -hmm. to be safe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't think I would ever say that. She, she's safer in Manhattan than she is in Vera Beach, Florida. I never thought I'd hear I'd hear that either. It's a fact. So where do where do we go from here, Andy? I mean, you I practice criminal defense and family. You do both also. But where do we go from here on giving our clients the direction that they need in this climate? I mean, you and I have talked before on how it's harder now to be considered experts in our field with all of the self-education that individuals can do on their own. How can we be more effective? Well, you know, I, I was part of an organization that, you know, FAC, uh, Florida Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers is a powerful lobbying group in the state 
when we barked the loudest and screamed our lungs out about things that were making us crazy, I don't know how that we were listened to, but when we took calculating deep dives and we tried to educate legislators, that's when we're the most effective. And I don't know though right now that that is true. I think a lot of changes are happening because they got loud. And, you know, I, I watched our society demonize Colin Kaepernick, who's a, the, the football player who took a knee. And I, my opinion of it, and I, I served in the military for a very brief time, you know, I'm a proud of that flag just like everyone else. But he had every right to do that. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have any problem with him doing it. Would I have done it? No. But I didn't have any problem with him doing it. But the guy got run out of the NFL for being for a peaceful protest. And that's what we want people to do is peaceful, peacefully protest. But even when we do that, we don't look at him and go, look, I can understand why you're doing it. We just look at our own lives and personalize it and say, I don't agree with that because of who I am. Well, it's not about who you are. It's about who we are. Right. And if we, don't, if we don't get with that, we don't understand the other side's argument and analyze it, we're never going to progress. And we can all pat ourselves on the back. Yes, we had an African-American president. That doesn't mean it's over. I mean, we, we still Clearly. personalize everything. And, and we, we've turned into a, it's all about us. And I, I think as criminal defense lawyers, we're the last beacon sometimes of hope because people all hate us until they need us. And we're the ones there fighting for the people who are sometimes just frankly misunderstood. And some of them have done bad things. Let's not, let's not get around, but you know, I just, I'm a, I'm an underdog guy. I believe in the underdog and I'm, I'm glad that there's been some movement, but we need to pull back because if you're, if you're out there and you're destroying property and you're hurting people, no one, you're right. It, it's, it's counterproductive. Absolutely. But being loud and proud is there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I've I've been to I've been to France a few times and there during a garbage strike, and I actually was there once where I I forgot some medication that I needed and the medicine was like it cost nothing, and I asked why why is it so cheap here? Because if they charged what they do in America, we would riot, we would protest, and they would stop it. We don't allow our government to run us; we run our government. And that's where we've lost it. As people, we, we don't, we, our government runs us. We don't, we don't run our government. And until we, like I say, I'm a term limits guy, make sure these people aren't in there forever and they'll start doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. So uh, being as, as you are, I, I'm thinking on a micro level, though, as a one-on-one conversation that we can have with individuals of all types and colors, how how can we have conversations with our clients and with the people? We, we're people of influence, and you know that, they, that we are. People look to us for guidance. What is a way that we can try to guide people through this chaos? Things are terrible right now. They're horrible. You take the economic suppression and you take the fact that we've been told that we have to stay home and then you add all of the social unrest on there. What what can we tell our clients and how can we help them on an individual level? Well, first you got to identify those people who will listen to you. 
if you're if you're so far um, lost in your misery or your belief system that hate has taken over hate is a hate is the what destroys nations hates what destroys everything that we do and it's the most powerful emotion that we have you know it's another quick story i once heard was that uh, a, a man you know his mother died at a young age and she was always very loving to him loved him very much and he went to her funeral and he found that he didn't shed a tear for his mother but his father was abusive treated him and that outlived his mother by many years and treated him very badly very poorly hated him all his life but out of respect he went to his father's funeral and he hated this man hated him but he bawled his eyes out and the the moral of the story is he hated him so bad that when he died he had nothing else to hate and that emotion to to, to have that void taken away from him caused him to break down hate does that to you so we got to identify the people that will listen to us mm-hmm. and we need a country of moderation and we need to, and, and if you can identify those people and talk to them and even the ones who are down and we have to all know that we're, and we all keep saying we're in this together. We're not in this together. We're not, it's reality. We're all looking out for our own individual families, but we got to lend a hand when we can. I mean, I do, I do what I can. I mean, I, you know, there's limits to what one person can do, but if we all help just a little, you know, we, we employ people at this firm. We never shut it down. We kept paying even at the expense of the partners who run it lost a lot of money, but that's, you know, we have a responsibility to each other. And if we all would start living that way and I'm not saying I'm the best, I'm not, but we got to identify those people who listen, talk to them, let them know that this will pass and it will. It will. Mm-hmm. I'm not just being an optimist. I know it will. It and will. There'll be a brighter side to it, but we got to just put our nose down and grind it out. And it's not going to happen without hard work. And maybe that'll change our nation a little bit. I think things have become too easy for a lot of us. We need to know that maybe a little suffering will do us some good. Yeah, I agree with that. I went to a conference this past week, and one of the focuses was tell me a time where you had to endure what you felt what was a life ending crisis for you and how did it work out and almost every single story that was shared on their personal crisis was a story of overcoming that crisis and coming coming out better on the other side of it, having learned those lessons, having learned perseverance, having made changes and adaptations in order to be more successful on the other side. And when you're in the midst of the crisis, it's really hard to see the possibilities of a better future. But often when you're going through something tragic like this, there are better things on the other side. Absolutely. Well, 15 years ago, I had something called Guillain-Barre syndrome and, you know, it can be a killer. And for a month of my life, I was off the grid down and out. And it was, you know, I wallowed in self pity. And this is how, how dare this happen to me? I'm at the prime of my life and I got a family I'm working. You know, I think, I think at that time I had maybe left our country once to the Bahamas or maybe Canada or something like that, you know, but I, I fought through it, worked, you know, used it as a motivator 
to, you know, and everyone's different on how they react. I'm not trying to self boast or anything, but since then I've run three Ironmans, seven half Ironmans. I've traveled to 30 countries. I mean, pain can, and, and, you know, those near death experiences can change a life mm -hmm. and maybe this will change, you know, a lot of people. It, you know, we're all looking at what's important now. I've gone to that austere spending. I don't, you know, I don't just buy what I want now. I mean, I, I save money. I, I, you know, I, I got my girls back home and we're, you know, enjoying our time together as long as we have it. I mean, it's drawing us closer together. So there are some things we all see the bad, but we need to look at what, what good things are coming out of this. I, I mean, agree. And there are a lot of good things coming out of it. Mm -hmm. There are. There are, and, and there will continue to be because mm -hmm. chaos does create change. I really believe <laughs> it does. It does. So any parting words that you have for anyone who's listening today? Well, I hope I didn't come across as a left-wing liberal. I'm not. I don't want to be a passive, a complete pacifist. I'm not. <laughs> but, but I do believe that positivity and, and love outweighs negativity and hate. If that makes me a pacifist liberal, I guess I'll take that label. But I just, you know, whatever side of the fence you're on, and I like to think I'm in the middle. I guess we all think that. But we just need to look at what the other side is offering and not just to be so dismissive of it. Right. And, you know, hate hate words, no matter what you feel about, you know, whether it's our, our, our presidential candidates, you know, and they go to politics because that seems to drive us all now is you know, we need to look at what the other side has to offer and know that no matter who's leading, we're going to get through it. We just got to be smart about, about things and listen. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I've been self-reflecting myself and I've been trying to determine what my, my ultimate core values are, the ones that drive me and the ones that I, that I want to be the predominant, characteristics of myself and I keep bringing it back down to being a compassionate person, being respectful of other people and building relationships. Those are the most important values to me. And personally, that means to me, it doesn't matter the race, the color, the gender, the political party. I, I think that we can all treat each other with compassion and respect and relationship building and make it through anything that we're going through. So, sure. and I'm not, and when I say all those things and you, I hear you say that, I'm not proposing that we don't fight for what we believe in, you know, and by fight, I mean, not physically fight it, but, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a, a lot of people, I'm, I'm a pretty soft-spoken guy, but when I get into court, I'm, you know, I got this reputation of being a throat ripper and I don't mind that reputation at all, but you know, we, when I get mad, I can be as passionate as any person you've ever seen, but it's gotta be controlled passion. That's all. If we can get through this with controlled passion, we'll get to, you know, we'll be better on the other side of it. Absolutely. So Andy. How does someone contact you if they need you for criminal matter, family matter, anything? How do they get a hold of you? That magic Google works really well now, but uh, 
I don't mind anyone. Uh, I give out my cell phone number to anyone that wants it. So uh, my cell phone number is 772-633-4089. My office number is 569-1001. It's Green, Metcalf, and Lausanne. You know, I'm happy to, we, we have conversations now, I'm sure you do too, that don't even necessarily result in us being hired. We just, we, we're talking to people who just need to be talked to. So, yes. uh, you know, that's what we're, we're counselors at law. We're, we're here to help. So, and I appreciate you for what you do too, Susan. You're one of the most solid, compassionate lawyers I know, and you, you lend an ear to everybody. And that, we need more people like you out there doing what you do. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, Andy. So thank you. And I, I'm blessed to have you as a mentor in my life and as a friend, and, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. But thank you very much for sharing your expertise with everyone. You're welcome. Welcome, and everybody stay safe. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of From Foster Care to Family Law, A Child Welfare Focus. I hope that this interview provided some valuable insight to help you deal with your unique circumstances. If you found this episode useful, please share this with friends and family that could benefit from this information. If you have a family law need or related matter, please contact me directly and I will be happy to help you.